Am I on? Is that better? Can you hear me now? All right. Anyway, I said good morning. <laughs> it's always a, a challenge to figure out how to start these, how to greet everybody, and then transition into the to the topic that the Lord's put on your heart. And so I asked for some advice this week. I asked Keegan, what should I say when I get up there and start? And he thought about it for a second, and he says, say hi. Okay. So hi, everybody. <laughs> That's the advice I got. But we've been going through a... I don't know what you would call it, if you would call it a little bit of a, a drought, farmers needing rain, the ground cracking. And I find that in my own life, I've been going through a little bit of a drought as well. And I don't know if I'm the only one in this church experiencing this, but hopefully we can lift each other up in prayer to get each other through this. There are times in the last few weeks where it has been an absolute struggle to get into the word of God. You don't struggle with praying. You pray with your spouse. You pray with your children. You sing hymns when your wife's praying the hammer dulcimer, which she loves to do. But spending an intimate time with him in the word of God sometimes just seems like it is hard, and we don't know why. And when you sit and you look at your struggles in pursuing Christ, it almost makes you begin to question yourself. Like, is my faith weak? Am I not doing this right? Do I not love him the way I should? What's going on? Why is this so hard? And as I was praying this week, and people were praying for me, and people were calling me on the phone to encourage me, there was one man that continued to come up in all the conversations we had, and that is the disciple Peter. How many times did Peter fall short? How many times did Peter fail? And yet, Peter's passion for Christ and the love that they had for each other continually showed all throughout Scripture. And so that's what I'd like for us to do today. I'd like for us to examine together the life of Peter. Some of it will be a brief overview, but some of it we're going to zero in on. Now, first of all, for those of you who aren't too familiar with who Peter is, Peter was one of the 12 disciples. Peter was the first disciple, the first man to be called to be a disciple by Christ. Christ renamed Peter. Now, anytime you're reading the Bible and you see God rename someone, there's three things you should always pay attention to. One, how are they living their life before and how are they living their life after? Two, how was God communicating with them and using them before and how did he begin using them after? And the third is what was their first name? What did it mean? And what did the name mean that God gave them? So some examples of this would be Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob meant deceiver or supplanter. His name changed to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. Saul meant asked for. And when his name was changed to Paul, it meant small or humble. And Simon was listener. But when Jesus renamed him to Peter or Petra or Cephas, it meant rock. And as you go through the New Testament, you see that Peter was the rock of the church, of the early church. But Peter is also remembered for his mistakes, which is a very interesting thing to reflect back on when you're thinking about a disciple, isn't it? We remember him for his impulsive reactions. We remember him for falling asleep at the garden when Christ was asking him to stay awake and pray. We remember him for grabbing his sword and cutting a man's ear off when they came to grab Christ. 
And we remember him for denying Christ three times. And yet, not all of his impulsive reactions were negative, were they? Some of them were even a perfect example of how we should be. Sometimes our minds get in the way of our walk. We feel like we should do something. We know we should be doing something, but we can reason ourselves out of it. But Peter, Peter knew what he believed. He knew that he trusted God. And when Christ was there calling or Christ was requiring him to do something, he just went. An example of this would be in John chapter 20, verses 4 through 7. Peter receives word that the tomb was empty. And Peter and John both just immediately get up and run all the way to the tomb. But John arrives at the tomb, stop, and looks in. And Peter just blows past him and runs in and starts looking at everything, looking at the burial cloths, looking at the slab where the body was, just examining the whole tomb on his own. And in John 21, verses 4 through 11, we see the story of this is the third time that Jesus manifested himself to the disciples after the resurrection. And the men were out in the boat fishing. They weren't having any luck, and there was a man on the beach calling out to them. Asking them if they were catching anything, they responded with no, gave them some instructions. They pulled up a full net, and John recognizes that it's Jesus, and he says, it is the Lord. And immediately, when Peter hears this, it says he stands up, he puts his robe on, dives off the ship, goes ashore, leaves everybody else behind. They finally get the boat up. Peter's been talking to Christ the whole time. There's a fire going with fish and bread. And Jesus is wanting to have breakfast. And then Jesus asks for some fish. He asks for some fish. Peter gets up, runs, grabs this net. It says that it had 153 large fish in it, pulls it to shore, makes mention of the fact that the net didn't even rip. I mean, you, you can just see him doing all this. And your, your initial reaction is calm down, man, chill, you know, but... It's also beautiful because Jesus asked for some and Peter went and gave him all. And there's something in that that we should reflect on at times in our own life. But another thing that separated Peter from the disciples, and there was many things, but the last one we're going to focus on is the fact that Jesus prophesied about Peter's death. Jesus told Peter how he was going to die. But beforehand, Jesus asked Peter a very, very heavy and important question, and it's one that we should all face ourselves. So if you will, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Gospel of John, chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 22. John 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. 
He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? That was John. So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, oftentimes when we're reading through Scripture, there's a very human element that comes through, isn't there? And there's a reason for that. Sometimes as we read the stories, they're hard to place ourselves in because of the, the millennia that separates us between these people. They lived in a world that we can't even begin to understand. I can't imagine walking past the Parthenon or going to the altar of the unknown God like Paul did. Like, that is a world that is so hard to grasp. And yet, the human beings that lived in it, the emotions that they felt, the reactions that they had, the way they interacted with each other, this is all something that we can still understand. And we understand it because we are sinners reading about sinners. And we understand it because we are saved by grace reading about those who have received the same grace from Christ. And in verse 21, we see one of these human elements come out, don't we? Because Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. The death of outstretched hands. A, re- a reference to crucifixion. And Peter's knee-jerk reaction was, well, what about John? What about him? And there's, there's two things to that. One, no one wants to suffer. No one wants to be the person that suffers. No one wants to be Joni Tata. No one wants to be the Christian that suffers and encourages other people because of the grace that we suffer with. But also, no one wants for life to be unfair. I am following you. I'm going to be crucified. What about him? And in speaking in this in 2006, the minister John Piper stated that after Christ tells Peter he will painfully die, Peter's first thought was comparison. What about John? If I have to suffer, what about him? It's what we as sinners do. We are wired to compare. We crave to know how we stack up to each other. Like there is some type of a high we get if we can just find someone else that's less effective than us. And we can understand that. We can understand the comparison that Peter's making. We can understand wanting everything to be even. It's the human element bleeding through. And as we stated earlier, first century historians, they let us know that when Jesus said the death by hands outstretched, that was crucifixion. And we know that Peter died under the persecution of Emperor Nero. But also Christ telling Peter about how he will die was in a way an encouragement to Peter. 
You denied me three times, but you will not deny me again. And you will go to death without denying me, and your death will glorify him. And I have never thought of that as being an encouragement until I was studying this and the theologian stated that. Now also notice that there are three times in Peter's life that Jesus tells him, follow me. The first time is when Jesus calls him to be a disciple. Peter is out in the boat fishing. Jesus yells to him, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. The second time is in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus is talking to Peter and the other disciples, and he says, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the third time is concerning life and death. He's talking to Peter about his fate, about his future, and he's telling him to focus on what I have you doing. Do not worry about my will for others and follow me. And those are the times in our lives also when Christ tells us to follow him as well, aren't they? Initial interaction with Christ, follow me. Whenever we have a crisis of faith or we have troubling times in our life or we're wondering how this is to be done, follow me. And when we start comparing ourselves to others or we start looking at our potential fate, follow me. Always being told to follow me. But when you look at that, you may ask yourself, like, why would Peter follow him? Jesus literally just told him, you're going to die. You're going to be crucified. And it is because of the love and the grace and the mercy that Christ Jesus has for Peter. And it's because of the love and the grace of mercy that Christ has shown all of us that we follow him. Because of Christ and the cross of Calvary, we have hope. Death is no longer the end for us. It's simply a gateway that we pass through to be in eternity with him. That is why we follow him. That is why we put our faith in him. But before Jesus tells Peter to follow me, before Jesus tells Peter that you will lead my sheep, Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Now, initially, that seems like a very simple question, doesn't it? Do you love me? And our knee-jerk reaction is, well, yeah, of course I do. But there is a lot going on in those three questions that sometimes gets overlooked. The first thing to notice is Jesus asked him, do you love me three times? One time for every time that Peter denied him. And you know that that had to be fresh on Peter's mind. The way that he had treated Christ and the way that he had denied him in the time before. But also... It's the types of love that are being used. And when you read through the New Testament and you look at Greek, you often hear people in lectures and in sermons talk about the different kinds of love, right? There's agape, storge, phile. Jay knows them all. I forgot one. But, <laughs> but in this, agape and phile are being used. Agape is unconditional and phile is, in a way, brotherly love. The first two times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He is asking him with agape, but Peter is answering with phile. Do you love me unconditionally? I love you as a brother. Do you love me unconditionally? I love you as a brother. And finally, the third time Jesus asked with phile, do you love me with brotherly love? Yes, I love you with brotherly love. It's almost as if Jesus was trying to pull Peter into understanding something. And Peter was just not quite there yet. 
But also when we read this, the theologian Matthew Henry states that there is something else that we should notice as Christians. Matthew Henry says that when you read this, notice that Christ calls him Simon instead of Peter. It's almost as if to symbolize that through his denials, Peter has forfeited the name Peter. But we know that he retains it as he continues to go forward. And we know that he was a rock. But we also know that in doing so, Peter begins to be humbled. The first time, do you love me more than these? Peter, yes. But the third time Peter is asked, he goes beyond himself and he appeals to Christ. Lord, you know all. Lord, you know my heart. You know that I love you. Almost as if he's making the same appeal that David did in the Psalms when he states, Search and know my heart, O Lord. He is coming before him in total humility and allowing Christ's knowledge of him to display his love for Christ. Do you love me? As we said earlier, that seems like an easy question for all of us to answer. But what if agape is added to it? What if Christ asked us, do you love me unconditionally? How would we answer that question? And there's two ways to answer that question, isn't there? Or to be asked that question, I should say. How would we answer that as a body? If Christ came through those doors and said, Sycamore Grove Mennonite Church, do you love me unconditionally? How would we answer that? What if Christ came to us as individuals? John, Ethan, Dwayne, Greg, Kyle, Luke. Do you love me unconditionally? The things that are in our lives that distract us from him. When you add the unconditional aspect, you now have to begin to dwell on them, don't you? You now have to begin to focus on the things that you allow to distract you from him. The things that pull you away from the intimate time with him. And as I was preparing for this, that is the main thing that kept coming on my heart is this question. Do you love me? Follow me. Do you love me? Follow me. And the way that that interacts with us as the body and all of us as individuals. And I know that that's kind of a short and blunt message, but that is just what was on my heart. Do you love me unconditionally? And I pray that as we continue to go ahead as the body, that the Holy Spirit comes and gives us the passion of Peter. Gives us the passion of Peter to run after Christ, to pray together, to lift each other up, to focus on him. The tomb is empty. See for yourself. He's standing on the beach. Jump out of the boat. Go run to him. Grab him. Don't let him go. Want to follow him. And in all things, humbly come before him. And acknowledge him in love, just as Peter did. And we say in our hearts, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you for your love, for the grace you showed us on the cross. I thank you for the example of Peter, Lord. All the times he failed, and yet it is so obvious how much you loved him. The same as we constantly fail, Lord, and you continue to forgive us, to love us, 
and to allow us to keep coming back. I pray, Lord, that in the days ahead, you guide us as a body, you guide us as individuals, you put your Holy Spirit on this place. Please bring a revival of desire for you. And I pray that you continue to guide us in the days ahead and watch over us. Amen.